You're listening to Charge, a CCS podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Chad Dirksy again, and you're uh, listening to the Charge podcast. This is part of the efforts of Chattanooga Christian School to help our families understand who we are and why we choose to do what we do. I've had a great time in the last two sessions uh, with Ellie Mela, uh, Nikki Ellis, and Matt Monahan, and they're here with me together all as as one group for one last time to do the third of this series that really kind of helps families see behind what it means that we have a framework through which we view the world that we sometimes oversimplify, but put in the in the kind of definition of creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. We've talked about creation in Genesis 1 and 2 and in the fall in Genesis 3 in the first two episodes. And in this episode, we're going to we're going to process the redemption consummation side. And we're really going to start with, with the question of what, what is God actually redeeming? So we, we have this great biblical narrative that tells us this beautiful story of God's redeeming grace in Jesus Christ and, and his completed work. Uh, we celebrate that. We're excited about that. We think this is a, this is a really big meta narrative that what Jesus is doing is, is often bigger than what we think. If we limit it just to, He's redeeming our souls or giving us a right status before God. That is really, really exciting. It's a really, really big deal. But what's fun about this is it's bigger than that. It's actually a lot bigger than that. So let's start with the question, what, what's actually going on? What's God actually redeeming? And that's not a rhetorical question. I'm, I'm hoping somebody in this group will actually start answering that. I'm happy to jump in, Chad. Uh, yes, we, we want to recognize that, in fact, individuals are reconciled to the Father through the work of Christ that is um, central and critical. Um, I think what's important to consider pointing back to even our first conversation and the goodness in the garden of the relationships between the things, that that redemption is also a restoration of the relationships between those things that have been broken and distorted. Um, So that is a reconciling, a healing, a making new of um, my relationship to God my relationship to others, um, as well as my relationship to creation. And then all of the things that are part of that, too. There's brokenness and distortion within ourselves. Um, that is um, is made new in the work and power of Christ. There are brokennesses in communities and in institutions, um, and these things can be made new through the work of Christ. So to look at that entire scope um, really expands both our understanding of the power and might of what God has done and what the work on the cross um, has accomplished, as well as our sense of, of all the things that we're able to participate in um, as human beings in, in being part of bringing that kingdom to bear now. Yeah, a lot of us are brought up in, in a way of seeing things more that sacred-secular sacred split where people's souls are what's most important, get people saved and everything else in creation, it's all going to burn anyway. So who cares? You know, that's just like the chaff. It doesn't matter. So if, if everything matters, you know, if, if God's work in redemption is restoring everything, not just souls, but people's relationships with each other, people's relationships with the world, then all of a sudden, um, being a Christian and, and running a Christian school, uh, opens up everything to be on the table and for everything to be important. Yeah. And I, I, I often say this, that it's, it is distinctively Christian right to engage students in the active work of discipleship, to help them see in the midst of their daily work, God's great love for them, 
right, going back to, again, this whole idea that before my feet hit the ground, my heavenly father is pleased with me, right? We want to have those conversations and we want to engage in those things. And that is a result of God's redeeming work, restoring our status before him, right? We also like to engage when there's conflict and, and we get an opportunity to share how God's redeeming work, right, can, can heal and restore relationships between peers, relationship between a student and a teacher, or a relationship between a teacher and administrator. We get a beautiful opportunity to do that. But it's not less Christian to talk about how God's restoring our relationship with creation. It's that work he's called us to do, that to, to, to fill the earth and subdue it. That work didn't disappear because of the fall. When Adam and Eve left the garden, God's call to fill the earth and subdue it didn't go away and disappear. And there has been times in the history of the church where we've we've over-focused, we've erred because we've focused just on those last two things mm-hmm. I've talked about instead of creating beautiful work. And as Ellie said in an earlier podcast piece where we said raising, setting high standards for our students in terms of what they do and what they produce in their classroom is a redemptive thing. And we get to sit and think through as we watch our students come through CCS and we get to celebrate lots of graduates who've gone on, some of them that have their children at CCS and see God's good work in redeeming them and inviting them to participate in that redeeming work and and fill the earth with lots of good things, whether they're involved in engineering and science or teaching at CCS or other forms of ministry or service or just being really good business people. That's part of all this. Yes. And that shapes the work we do on a daily basis. For sure. And I would say that's the most profound difference between CCS and and our neighboring schools or in in any non-Christian school is that sense that everything matters because everything is being redeemed and it gives us great hope and it gives us it gives us a reason to work hard. It gives us a reason to pour into every activity we do. It doesn't it doesn't. Yeah, it, it levels the playing field between like all subjects are important. History is equally as important as, as English, as math, as world language, as the activities that I do after school. All these things matter and are being redeemed, and all these things point us towards Christ. And that is, to me, the most profound difference between CCS and, and another school. Yeah, and it's worth noting that that incentive to do good work, to do beautiful work, it's rooted in a, in a deep, deep optimism about how things are going to be. And a great analogy for it, one of my seminary professors talked about the, the now and the not yet. Jesus has come and done all this stuff, and he's going to return and make it all right. And the World War II analogy is that D-Day has occurred, V-Day is assured, right? If you were the French and, and the British and the Americans have landed, it's just a matter of time before the Allies uh, roll back the Germans and there's, there's victory for the good guys. And sometimes I'll give this analogy with students and say, you know, imagine you're on a team that's so bad, there's no way you can win. You know, how motivated are you to go out there and give your best and and do your best? And now you flip it. You know, what if you're on the team that can't lose, right? That that, um, you're you're guaranteed to win. You're on the right team. You just have to follow follow your leader, follow Christ. Um, and, And victory is assured. Uh, that changes everything. There's an optimism to it. And before the podcast, Chad was talking about how that often gets spiritualized. You know, that, oh, well, you know, um, God's going to get all his people and people are going to be saved. And, and it is that, but it's it's so much more than that, that, you know, stepping out and participating um, by faith in this work, you know, we are a part of it. Um, it. The boots hit the ground, so to speak, in so many different places. You know, so for example, if we're talking about racism, 
and all this discussion today, it's really easy to say, oh, well, Jesus is going to make everything right, so we just need to hold on, and one day all people will be right. Tribalism one day will go away. And yet the gospel calls us to action and no follow follow Christ into it and participating, you know, by faith in this work, you know, D-Day has occurred. You've you've got to march in. And so I think a lot of the extra stuff that we do at CCS um, is exactly that, you know, whether it's uh, sports or robotics or the musical world languages. I mean, these are places where, where kids are in a sense, the boots on the ground, uh, reconciling people. We talked about it with robotics before. You get all these unlikely candidates who are doing the thing together. It's the, you know, similar in sports teams. And um, this is sort of a training ground for, for realizing the hope that we have right now. But if you don't have that optimism, you don't have an incentive to do any of that work well. I, yeah. I, I, and I want to add to that because you're so right in terms of the importance of keeping um, the, the assurance of, um, of the return of Christ, of the kingdom that is not yet to be fully arrived. At the same time, part of a righteous response to ongoing brokenness is to speak into it, to, to, to look for healing and for restoration. It's also part of a right response is lament. Mm. That's not something I'm very good at. Um, I kind of want to figure out what the action steps are and, and, and take action and fix things as much as possible um, on, on a day-to-day basis even. But to be able to, to recognize that part of, that God isn't even just on a trajectory of saying, don't worry, I'm going to get everything fixed, um, but invites us into lament um, with him and in community with one another, um, that th- there's, there's, there's truth there as well. Um, to say that we're moving towards truth doesn't simply mean the good parts of it, but also the the naming um, and a refusal to turn an eye away from things really are um, not as they should be. We can grieve that together. Mm. We can hear one another into speech about it um, and that that's part of an incarnational work too with hope, right? So like mm-hmm. somehow it's like knowing that I am I am able both to weep with people and that that's never a hopeless Weeping. Um, yeah, I think it can give us a courage and a boldness as we address the things, the broken things in our world. Mm-hmm. It gives us, we can look at, at all the bad things that are happening and not just say, okay, I just have to block that out because I can't even handle thinking about that. But we can, we can look straight into them and know that mm-hmm. we have the hope in Jesus um, and that, and that those bad, those negative things, those, when, when we read the news and feel overwhelmed, that doesn't have the last word. Mm. We have this hope in Jesus, and that's what makes that's what makes life as a Christian so different. I really like that phrase, Ellie. We can look straight into them, um, and I think just hearkening back to other conversations we've had about how we engage with cultures and texts, and even what's in our own hearts, mm-hmm. right? So that that the full knowledge of truth of both what is and what is to come allows us to look straight into things as they are without a need to hide or protect or, um, or coat with a veneer of, of something else. It's great. Yeah. And I wonder, I wonder if I, if I take your idea of lament as part of the redemptive work, mm-hmm. right. And, and we see that, right. There's, there's Psalms, there's stories throughout scripture of lament. It, it's interesting to me to, to, to process. I think Satan is at work, Right, and part of that is to com- convince us of our lack of worth that we have as bearers of God's image and our union with Christ, what it means to be in Christ. And, and without, if we decouple lament from our value as God's image bearers and what it means to be in Christ, then that lament leads to shame. And 
And when we've lost that sense of, of hope that we have in those two things that were in his image, redeemed in Christ, and that work, V-Day, has already been accomplished, mm-hmm. that's part of the reason why I'm not very good at lament, because it leads me to the self-pity, um, and I'm not seeing anything redemptive about the process of, re- of lament, but in in the confidence that I have in my union with Christ, it actually drives us to step into those spaces, to look into those things, but also to be thinking about strategies that there is a strategy component of say, what, what, what do we do about tribalism? What do we do about racism? What do we do about individualism? And, and how do we do that? Some of that is just doing good work, the work of the earth uh, to, to, to give foretaste of, of what it is intended to be. The struggle for me too, aside from my self-pity, is it's the analogy of I used to like working on my yard until I came to Chattanooga. And it seemed like when it got to midsummer, no matter what I did, the, the weeds would just overtake it and it would return to what it wasn't supposed to be. So can we talk a little bit about how hard it is in the life of a school for us as educators, right? It's not it's not first two students, but how hard it can be to to deal with the fact that sometimes even when we're faithful, things that start out good turn back to the way they're not supposed to be. How do we keep people moving through that to help them see God's redeeming work, that it is actually true that V-Day has already arrived? So maybe we could pick up on that piece. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's important to not only teach our students, but preach back to ourselves that our redemption is not necessarily a straight linear process. We we have these weeds that come up and we have them in all of our hearts. We talked about that last time that the we we have good things about us and that's great and we want to cultivate those things, but we have those weeds in all of us um, that come up over and over again and we can we can share them and we can pray about them and we have these weeds that that continue to come up and continue to confront us with our need for Jesus. And so I think the the bottom line that we would try to communicate to our students and also to remind ourselves of and remind our colleagues of is is that hope that we have in Jesus is that end place is the hope and understanding that that the the weeds exist in all of us and there'll be times when the weeds are are thicker than than others and harder to deal with but that end goal doesn't change regardless of how many weeds are there, regardless of how many assignments go poorly or how many of my lessons go poorly, the end goal remains the same and that, that will never change. Right. And there, there are several things in that, in the weeding metaphor to unpack that I think continue to be helpful and connect with what you're saying, Ellie, like, and one is expectation, right? If we recognize that all of these relationships are um, manifest brokenness and sin, um, then we expect to see that kind of those the presence of weeds in every single one of their those areas. If there are two people in a room, there's brokenness present. Um, if you're involved in a conversation, there's a way that we're not hearing each other fully. Um, we can work as hard as we want, even in this conversation, we're going to not say things the way that we meant to. We're going to be misheard. We're going to struggle. We're going to think back later. Oh, I wish I'd said. Um, so that sense of expectation, and and the and the other thing that we were talking about earlier in terms of direction. Um, that that question, and I think this is part of what you were saying, is not what does it look like for me to arrive fully and completely and be done and have everything just right. Um, that's a, a weight of perfectionism that crushes. But it, is my work moving in the direction towards righteousness, goodness, truth, um, and that faithfulness um, that looks like taking steps forward, whether that's in a relationship and saying I'm just going to do the next 
right thing that I know to do. And I, I talk about this uh, with students in revising essays as well. Uh, it's mm. it's messy. There are all kinds of weeds throughout the process. Um, miserable work to do in some ways. And yet every single bit that we take a phrase and it becomes something more clear, um, a more effective point of communication, that's redemptive work in the tiniest of daily activities. I mean, how many sentences have we composed today? Mm. Um, and every single one of them is an opportunity to cultivate in a direction towards goodness. Yeah, you know, I've I've got a little bit of a side hustle as an artist, and I, I think about some of these things in that realm, you know, the aesthetics and the arts. And um, and as a concrete example, I'm thinking of some of our art students and, and years ago, Faith Dougal. This is more on that lament side. And she was doing some pieces of art back in the day that, that were bothering a lot of the faculty because it was like faces with pins in them and yarn being stretched across them and just really kind of disturbing art. But if you spoke to her... It really was, she had an opportunity to, to lament and to really be sad about a lot of things that were broken. And artists can also um, produce beautiful works that are, not that faith is not beautiful, but they can, they can produce more um, positive or, or optimistic works of art that are just meant to be pure, purely beautiful, you know, foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth and such. Um, you know, from, from a Christian worldview, both are equally important, both are equally meaningful, and the fact that a, a kid is able to produce art or an adult, you know, that is a lament, it's still followed by hope. And I, I would even argue that that from a Christian worldview, you actually have strong grounds for a lament because you have this standard of how things ought to be. Mm -hmm. And when they're broken, they're broken because there's a way they ought to be. Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't have that, you can make art, but it's 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 a complaint at best. But, you know, if there is no God, life is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Um, and there's really even not a reason to complain, right? Because life is short and then you die and maybe the sun will burn out if the world doesn't get destroyed by an asteroid first. So why bother? Yeah, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to know that that story that Match just described about a student that produced art that is lament and at the same time other art that's produced that is a reflection of what it is what it can be. We see that story throughout scripture, right? God chose to to tell us the unvarnished things of scripture as well, to see the impact of sin and brokenness at the same time that he was telling us the story of his redeeming work. And, and that in it itself, because it's the truth, is a powerful part of how we're able to see uh, things that both give us hope, but give us a seriousness about the work that we need to do. Mm. It's, it's exciting to think about that, that essay revision process, but I, I get nervous sometimes that all we think about is the end, right? That, that what we really see sometimes in some of this is because we put kids' grades up and they can see them instantaneously. And we get so over-focused on the end result. And I'm not saying the end result is not beautiful, right? That revised essay where, where language is purer and clearer and articulates the message that was intended to be articulated, that's a really, really good thing. But at the same time, part of the redeeming work is wrapped up in the trial and the error and mm -hmm. the reworking of things to get to that end. So we need to, we need to see learning as a process mm -hmm. of redeeming work, not just this ultimate completed end and 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 help us see how important that process is it's why i get sometimes stuck on 
over-focus on competency-based learning or on 21st century skills and isolation of everything else, that part of the beauty of how God made us and how he's redeeming us is this process of lifelong learning and revision. I scratch my head with my wife a lot and think about what now, why was that 20 years ago? We did that with our children. What in the world are we thinking when we did that? And again, that's part of a lament. But if I, if I think about the hope, not just of the finished end of what God's doing in the life of my children, but actually the journey he took us along, along the road where it wasn't a straight trajectory. There was a lot of hills and valleys and in the hills, right at the top of the hill and the valley, God's great redeeming work is evident. Mm-hmm. Am I uh, am I just Pollyanna there and thinking about that? Or is- no, I think you're onto something really beautiful about the Christian life there because I think as Christians, our definition of what it means to be successful is so different. And so the, the world has its standards of success. Maybe it's based on grades for students. Maybe it's based on how much money an alum makes after they leave this place. But our if we're looking at everything as as the ultimate end is that we're redeeming our relationship with with God, others, and creation, then the questions we need to be asking are so different. The questions we should be asking are like, do I feel my intimacy with Christ deepening? And do I feel, do I feel his sanctifying work in my life? And do I, do I feel the way that I interact with other people changing and shifting through the years? And then those things are so much messier and so much harder to measure. And it's, there's not a clear rubric for like, oh yes, I've, I've gone from a three to a five in positivity with other people. I'm doing great. It's so much harder to measure. And it's really something that, that God has to reveal to you throughout the course of a life and your relationships with others. But I think, yeah, it just, our, our definition of, of what it means to be successful if we're, if we're looking to the redemption of all things is so radically different than the world's. And that's really important to remember. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a powerful poem that I'm about to butcher that, um, connects with Chad's point about the ups and downs and them all being beautiful. You can Google it to see what it really says, but it's called the weaver. And I don't think they know the author of it, but the, the main idea of it is that all of life, all of history is like this tapestry and we see it from the backside of it. And if you see one of these finished works and you look at it from the back, it's just, it's chaos and there's gold threads and there's black threads and red threads and, and from our perspective, we often can't see the meaning or the, you know, we don't, we often don't have an, a, a, a visual reason for the optimism. And yet, if you can see that tapestry from the front, getting away from it, you see that it's a beautiful, beautiful work of art and that all those threads go together to make this whole that's beautiful. And all these little details of our lives contribute to that. And, you know, maybe some of the downs from your life are some of those black threads and maybe some of the ups are the gold threads, but it's a really powerful image for, for you know, what Chad, you were saying about the, the ups and downs all being a part of the whole. And, and even in the worst parts of your life, not that you feel it, but you can be optimistic about it. And the, the complexity there, I think, also having to do with, well, that image points us back to that question of, of what actually is the goal. Um, and as somebody who likes to think about how do I just fix this and get it better, it's really helpful to remember that no matter what the problem is, at any moment in time, if the goal were simply for it to be fixed, mm. God could do that Yeah. in a moment. So if he's not doing that, and he absolutely can, there must be another goal than just for the thing to be fixed, mm. whether it's something as simple as an essay or as significant as a church, a community, a marriage, a relationship. 
a bridge, um, any of those sorts of things. There's something bigger at hand than just getting it fixed. Mm. Um, so yeah, so when we ask, when we're asking students to engage in the process of learning, and it's not just get it right mm. and hand it in, um, I think of a couple of things. Um, one of the things that I I think is really important is um, is thinking about that aspect of the process and what am I coming to know or understand about myself and what am I practicing in the struggle. Um, so when I'm wrestling with a really challenging text, um, or when I'm trying to make sense of a geometry proof, mm. um, or some sort of of bug that I'm I'm trying to to figure out in in what set up in a program, there's something about that focus and that wrestling that cultivates in each of us um, an attention. Uh, Simone Bay wrote an essay on the right use of school studies. Um, with a view towards the love of God um, and this this notion that even in wrestling through really difficult things, we're learning to pay attention, we're learning humility um, to see that we don't just have the answers and we can't just make things simple, and that and that in that um, we we deal with our we deal with our um, our idiocy as well as our sin, um, and we come face to face with that, and that that allows us to stand in humility before the Father, and then also in hope in the ways that we've talked about, right? That the work is good and worthy um, and can be moved towards. And I think often of what happens if we rob our children and ourselves of the opportunity, and I, I chose that word intentionally, of growth through some disappointment or failure. Mm. So, so when I rush in as a parent and want to rescue a bad grade circumstance on a sports team, or I think my child should have played and they didn't or a loss. When I rush in to try to rescue and fix that, I'm actually in a lot of ways, I'm robbing my child of the experience. It, and it, it is an experience of God's redeeming grace because what we get to see on a regular basis, Matt said this in an earlier conversation about when you really sit back and you think of almost 1,500 students and the opportunity we have to see this, this pile of potential that's in the midst of us every single day with all of our, our children in this already not yet world when sometimes they do things they're not supposed to do and they don't perform at the level that they're capable of, but this potential that they have so we can see the truth right manifested of god's beauty in creation that good good very good creation we get to see that every single day when we come to school now we also get to see the <laughs> manifestations of the fall but when we see those students persevere demonstrate resilience grow through a trial or a bad grade or some failure in their experience that is often in my experience and maybe it's not in yours that is an incredibly formative experience no matter what the end grade is a lot of times students will look back 10 years later and that will be the formative experience when you say what was the best part of this school experience they'll reflect back on some pit they were in and in obviously because of what christ has done and the power of the holy spirit but as part of their work that god's given them to do as as image bearers who who should be co-creating and let there be activities they they climbed out of the pit and they looked back and said that was the moment that i realized that god was with me and he made me to do this but if i as a parent or a teacher jump into that pit mm -hmm. and pull them out they never get to experience that mm -hmm. that narrative right yeah I, I learned a new term recently we've we've talked in the past about helicopter parents you know hovering 
there's a lawnmower parent. I don't know if you guys have heard this phrase, but it's the, the parent who's like going before their kid, mowing the lawn so that they will have no hardships, no obstacles, so they will just have this easy street through their lives. And, you know, to your point, you're, to do that is to really deny the kids some of the greatest opportunities to grow and to struggle. Um, and I, I had the, the pleasure of visiting Cal Sneller's class on parent night, you know, geometry. And, uh, and, and I happened to have been helping my daughter with some of her geometry, which they had some hard questions, you know, thinking through. And, and he just made a point of saying, look, your kids are going to be struggling. They're going to be complaining. And that's a good thing, mm-hmm. you know, because it's hard and because it's not just here are the right answers, follow the system. You're going to have to work through it. It was really a great rally call uh, to the parents to support their kids in the struggle and to not be freaked out when your kid is freaking out about the hard thing. Yeah, there, there's, and, and I think <laughs> in the middle of those kind of word pictures of lawnmower, or helicopter, or some, I've heard it because I'm from the north, and and there were snowplow parents, so we, <laughs> we can't think of that when we're near, in Chattanooga. But but again, that's not parent bad, school good. That's not what we're trying to say in this scenario. We're all right in in some way, right? The people that we love, we we wanna we wanna keep them from stumbling, mm-hmm. and and the reality is what we're saying is not. Let's not have our children, our students, our peers, our friends have safe lives where they can flourish. We're saying it's a delicate balance of discernment to figure out where to jump in and rescue. And, and there are times in history, right, where we can see patterns of we've, we've overstepped and other times where we've understepped. But these are things that we should be working together as a community. It's part of God's redeeming work as he's uniting us together, right, in our, in our relationships to each other is these are the things within our community that should be, we should be talking about, right? What is the right balance in these situations for those that have more power and influence to right wrongs for mm-hmm. our children and for each other? What is the right balance of that? And what's the, what's the place we should step back? Yeah. And I think so much of that, it has to do, the, the word balance is helpful. I think sometimes also, though, to think about goal. So what is the goal here and what am I trying to produce? And sometimes I really have to recognize what I'm trying to produce right now is happiness in the moment. Mm. Um, or what I'm trying to produce is just just to be able to move on to the next thing. Um, but to say in my interaction um, with the child, whether as a stu- whether they're my student um, or, or another kind of relationship, is what's going what's gonna to help make this struggle productive so that they're able to move in a direction but able to do that work on their own. And, and again, I, I think about even just the way we respond to um, concerns or issues. So if I tell a student, all right, I hear your concern, what I need you to do is X, Y, and Z, and I just tell them all the steps, they're going to be helped immediately. They're going to be um, off my checklist as a solved problem, but they will not have experienced the agency and the responsibility of wrestling towards a solution. Mm-hmm. And it takes more time, but what if my response looks something more like, huh, that sounds hard. What do, what do you think you want to do to figure that out? What might work to help you get, get what you need? Um, it's a radically different turn to tell rather than to ask and invite them into the problem solving. And man, there's such a sense of like dignity and pride and capability to just first know that they can do that. And then secondly, when they have the experience of arriving at it and executing it. Um, and that is a child who's taken steps towards um, mature adulthood. And that's the vision. We want them not simply happy today, but we want them healthy and whole um, and growing for the future. Mm-hmm. And I think as, as as a parent, it feels like there's a lot of vulnerability in that. 
like it feels a little scary to allow my kids that space um, to have to explore and to have to deal with something hard when when I feel like I can give them the answer to it. Um, and I, and I think it's again that that vision of like it it feels vulnerable and it feels scary, but because of the hope we have in Christ, we have we have this courage to look at those things and to say, okay, I have this hope in Christ and I see my child struggling and, it, and that's really hard. My child feels like an extension of myself in a lot of ways. And I want to, I want to protect them from, from the sins that I've committed in my life. And I see them heading towards those things. And I want to, I want to shield them from that. So it feels really vulnerable to, to release them to that. But, but then if I, if I believe in this hope that I'm, that I'm expressing, then I then I should have no fear about that, and I should understand that they they are God's children first, mm-hmm. and God is leading them on a path that I probably don't even understand, and it's a path that's different than mine, and that's great, and that's God's design for their lives. But it does feel vulnerable and kind of scary in the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and God's called us into this redeeming work as His image bearers and into the messy things. Mm-hmm. Again, Nikki mm-hmm. said this earlier in a conversation about how Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus, this fully, fully God redeemer who is fully man, walked into the mess, stepped into the brokenness and what was distorted and wrong to do the work as as fully human. And and going through this, what we're talking about really is no different, right, than what the incarnation of Christ was actually doing. God could have fixed it in a different way mm-hmm. and just given the solution. But he chose in his infinite wisdom and grace to say, no, I'm going to send my son to walk in this way, not just to be your example, but to actually to give you the power, right, to do this. That's part of the victory, right, Matt, mm-hmm. is we actually have the power to work through these things, That's right? right? That This work is actually being done. More than we can ask or imagine. Mm-hmm. I mean, those sorts of phrases from Scripture are just absolutely mind-blowing. I mean, I've got a decent imagination and some high expectations for how we want things to go, but more than we can even ask or imagine that's how ready he is to equip and gift us with with strength and power for what needs to be done. Yeah, so the power of God to do this crazy, messy, redeeming work that sometimes feels like a pit and it's it's almost impossible to climb out of, that power is more than we can actually imagine. And that that's a good way to, to kind of wrap up this piece of it. We could sit here and talk about this for a long, long time. And sometimes we say, wow, that's been 30 minutes already. And, and our hope is that that what we communicate is these are really good conversations. And one of the beautiful ways in which God's grace is revealed to us is in community. So we want to we encourage you that these types of conversations, not just with, with Ellie and Nikki and Matt and Chad, and he's here too, by the way, uh, he just doesn't say anything. But the reality is these conversations, these can be had, right, but with our neighbors, with our friends and our churches, some of the some of the most difficult things in COVID has been this separation mm-hmm. to where we don't have these conversations. And, and one of the hopeful things Matt and I were talking earlier today, and some of the, the conversation was was evolving around my children are older than his children. So I'm relaying experiences and he's asking questions and I'm learning from him and he's learning from me. These multi-generational conversations are really important. So I'd encourage you all to place yourselves in the midst of people that are in multiple generations that have gone through these things to learn from each other instead of being segregated. What we're going to do going forward is I want to give you a little bit of a picture of that. We we have a goal, right? An institutional goal, which we call the graduate profile. And that isn't just a document. It actually shapes and forms the actual work we're doing. So at some point in the future, Nikki's going to come back and we're going to talk about the graduate profile with some of her staff that are leaning that and and seeing how that becomes a framework for purposeful work across the board in our school community. 
But before that happens, um, next week our podcast is going to be about what do we teach in Bible at CCS and why is that important? Why would an educational institution, if we're really supposed to be integrating faith and life and it's supposed to show up everywhere, right? Matt talked about the importance of struggle and solving problems and asking questions in a geometry class. That's part of the integration of faith and life. Right? Why would we teach Bible mm -hmm. if we're doing it in every subject? Why would we take up a valuable period to do that? So we're going to talk about why we do that, and we're going to split that up in between one section for upper school, grades 6 through 12, and one section preschool through 5. Uh, we're going to talk in the future about what do we do at chapel? Why do we choose to do this? Why do we select the music that we select? But why do we talk about the things we do? Um, and, and again, we're going to do that with a lower school split and a, and a upper school split. But those will be the types of things that are to come. But we feel really privileged. There are a lot more people listening to this podcast than we thought there was. There's also a, a student uh, podcast that's a little bit of a spoof of this that's picking piggybacking off of this. And I'm a, I think that's awesome, by the way. Um, I forget the name of it, but but I, I think imitation is the greatest form of flattery. So um, <laughs> we, we understand that it's making some difference. We, we do understand that... Um, you know, we need to be thoughtful about these things, but thanks for listening. Hopefully you'll, you'll drop in and listen again. It's been great to be with you. Have a great day.